millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And so another week rolls around the nights already getting noticeably shorter. A big thank you to those of you who've sent in suggestions via all sorts of routes, Twitter and comments pages and emails regarding uh, possible subjects for future episodes. We're hoping to implement as many of those as we can. Keep them coming. Some really excellent suggestions are coming in. I need to respond in particular to one listener who suggests that I've been bad-mouthing Osterly. Oh boy, really? Not knowingly, I must say. I would like to issue a formal apology to Osterly for any perceived slight. And I'm hoping we're going to get along there and redress that imbalance at some point pretty soon. We're heading south of the river this week. Only just, mind you. We've nearly been to London Bridge Station before. We've certainly talked about it from the outside. We're onto the platform this week. I'm barely touching the subject of the massive renovation going on there and instead focusing on one man and his tights. It's Friday the 15th of August 2014. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. This is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a song through from your front door. Hello, it's a hot day and I'm <laughs> I'm having a day of it. Actually, this is a peculiar start to a recording, even by the standards of this podcast. So I gather that I'm here at London Bridge Station, first of all, to experience a platform that doesn't exist. I've just found that out while sitting in an office that I've discovered is due to be knocked down, and I'm here to talk about tights. I've no idea. I mean, genuinely. With me is John McKinnon. He is a producer and canvas stretcher, which, which only has a fourth dimension to this uh, increasingly insoluble problem. Hi, John. Hello. In, in every sense, what am I doing here? Uh, you're here because the company... Uh, which I founded a few years ago. It's called Platform 7, and uh, we do abstract art events in public spaces. And there's always wonderful people who work in big organisations who allow people like me onto their premises to do wonderful things. Is, am, I any, am I any clearer at this point? Yeah, slightly, maybe. We were going to have a qualified pianist here, 
and I don't see how that fits in with anything either. Um, I'd like to describe John to you, listener. John is a gentleman wearing a hat. We are in uh, an otherwise hat-free zone. Uh, London Bridge Station, lots of people wearing the white shirts and the uh, name cards on ribbons around the neck thing, but people looking very serious. It's late on a hot day, so everybody's looking uh, slightly haggard. Into the middle of this, with a spring in his step, is John, <laughs> cutting a very different sort of stride than everybody else. So, first of all, brief. we're, we're going to dance around these announcements, by the way. We're experiencing disturbances to our, our services as well. You know, it's going to be like this through the whole podcast. <laughs> in, in some ways, I'd like a shorter announcement, like you know, fire or <laughs> just for brevity's sake. Um, we've had a fantastic uh, introduction from Richard Emmons. He's the station interface manager, which I guess is uh, something a bit like public relations. But he's been talking to us about the history of Platform 7, and it's notable that he and Dennis Kirk, the station manager, very approachable people. Yeah, very approachable. I mean, the reason what's brought us here is the company's called Platform 7. And so basically, I owned a cafe bar back in, uh, New, in New Cross and Catford and Broccoli and called Moonbow Jake's which was very popular for 11 years um, and a lot of people from Goldsmiths from uh, Laban from Camberwell from the art schools the RCA etc used to frequent it this was way before Starbucks I started thinking about it in the 90s uh, it opened in 97 and they went on to 2008-9 and then um, and basically what I've noticed was a lot of artists doing lots of really interesting stuff we used to have live performances I built a theatre an outdoor theatre hundreds of gigs over the years thousands actually and it was all in the abstract everyone was doing abstract stuff and but what was really interesting was there was people producing great stuff and yet there was no funding there was no help and no one was really sorting out you know no they were having their work stolen they'd do something for 12 years and then suddenly it appear in some stage somewhere and they would get no recognition and then you'd see you know these broken Artists quite often, and it was quite depressing. Sometimes. Do, do, do you mean actual pieces of their work were being nicked off them? Yeah, yeah. It was um, people working on the very peripheral periphery of the arts are doing some really interesting. Stuff. A lot of the stuff you see, which becomes um, popular 10, 15 years later, started off in some abstract way. Someone sort of in some little bar downstairs. I mean, punk. Yeah. You know, I mean, this stuff. But I used to see it. On, and it became quite regular basis, you know, this stuff. And my original intention was to open a, a little chain of cafes and create a venue for sort of abstract performances. That's my real interest, is performance. And there was no way I could afford it. So I thought, ah, oh, I've run these little cafes, they all make a little bit of profit, enough to cover the, you know, the, the rent and enough to make some profit. And then I could put that profit into making this space and that would work. Of course that's not the reality because it's funding bars and cafes and other theatres it's actually bloody hard work as anyone who works in it knows and uh, and in this city it's really hard you know like because um, the rents are high and everything is very expensive and at the time before Starbucks nobody knew what a coffee you know an espresso was well not nobody but a lot of people would say what's an espresso what's a cappuccino so you so you'd go for a cup of coffee so you'd go for a cup of coffee and, and to be honest landlords and banks thought I was completely bonkers and even in 2000 and 1998 99 people were laughing at me saying this would never catch on 
so then, yeah, they're, 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 they're what they are saying now. So when I grew out of that sort of, area, I realised this is never going to work. I actually wanted to just to do the events. That's what I really want. That's where my passion was. So uh, near the end of the Moonbows period, we was having some dinners, chatting to quite a lot of the artists, people. I, you know, like a network had built up around the cafe bars. And one night at dinner, um, this, the wonderful Julian Jacobson, who's a professor of piano at the Royal College of Music, and if you've heard him, he's, he's an amazing man. Um, he, over this dinner, he just said, well, what about Platform 7? Because I was asking the question, I, I, I want to look at how, whether people... How do people see things they see every day, but they don't notice? You know, how can you notice something which you no longer notice? And I think in the West, personally, I think you know, everyone's forgotten how to switch on a tap. You know, that how important you know this this thing in the morning that you switch on this tap and can drink water. You know, and what's going on at the moment, like in Gaza, that you know people don't have access to water. You know, in Syria, you know, this, you know, and never mind in places in Africa where there is no water and you have to walk two miles. And you're talking about taking things for, for granted, but not, yeah. but not just that by the sounds of it. It's sort of a, a kind of an, an increased awareness. Yeah, there's a, I mean, our, our society, the way we work, capitalism as, it's, as it sits, constructs us to sort of, we want, to, we want the next thing and we forget about the last thing. Yeah, like, and we forget about the things which are, waters no longer seem as important until it goes off. And then everyone, yeah, and it's on the top end of the news. But when I'm, I'm talking about water, just because it's an example, but we, you know, the fact we've got trains in and out of this station, and the fact that we've got uh, NHS, you know, all the, you know, these are bigger things as well. You know, but the clothes, we can go and buy stuff. Even if you're the poorest person in this country, that you're going to be very unlucky to starve here there's always be someone to look after you but we're almost not being noticed anymore this is was there something in particular like an event or something that made you suddenly remember that well from 16 I left school at 16 and I I uh, found myself a job in advertising and I ended up in the big some of the biggest ad agencies in the which are now the biggest ad agencies in the world but I mean I didn't realise how cool they were at the time I just worked there and it was great it was uh, BBH Bartle Bogo Hegarty uh, GGT Goldblum's Trot these are 20 people 30 people 50 people agencies which then grew and now are thousands and thousands of people around the world and 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 I gave that up when I was 26 25 to go travelling and I went around the world I just backpacked uh, for over a year and a half or almost a year and a half sorry and uh, I went through India and Southeast Asia and I'd go into slums areas and just chat to people and in you know the Middle East and just chat to people and just sit down and and my dad was always, when he was alive, was always very, you know, um, when he was children, to be very respectful to people who were down the street, you know, be very respectful to, you know, people who are worse off than yourself, you don't know. And, we, and to be honest, we didn't come for much, to be honest. We lived in a council flat in Peckham. So, um, and it was always that kind of giving, and there was a big community. People looked after each other very much. And uh, so that all fed into this. And when the cafes came, when I came to sort of, I decided I'm going to make these cafes. This is when I was back in London. Um, it was really important to have to try and make it working so that everyone could use it. And I think that was the attraction, and that's what attracted the artists because a lot of the artists are skint. You know? And this isn't some myth. This is true. You know, people are absolutely skint, and yet they work in. When they do have money, they invest it into, you know. The, into something a project into their you know a new pair of dance shoes or whatever 
not everyone now it's not all artists are skin but a lot of people are um, so this all so getting back to the point of platform 7 which I've gone off this is unlikely to go off a tangent um, and I wanted to find a name which was about this sort of noticing things and then when Julian said platform 7 nobody notices it's not there you know like because there's 16 platforms here and, and true enough ever since everyone you ask nobody ever said everyone goes really well, there you say there's no platform seven. This, ah. this sort of is. <laughs> You're very right. You're very right. There is a platform seven. But I mean, you wouldn't want to try and get on a train. From no, this certainly, certainly you'd have to scale a wall for one thing. Because <laughs> uh, all of the signs uh, they, they say platforms one to six this way, and platforms uh, nine, uh, platforms eight to sixteen the other way. And then there's a vacancy. Yes, there's a big vacancy, which was because apparently we've just found out is because they when they lengthened. In 1993, platforms one to six, there wasn't a way into platform seven, so it will be cut off. And so they, the only way they had to do it was close platform seven. Yes, they had a blocked throat. A blocked throat. <laughs> Doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> no, no. So that was the reason. And rather than cause confusion, they kept the numbers the same and just removed platform seven. So now let me get this straight: this platform seven business. The suggestion was what exactly? Do, merely the name, or to to try and utilise this platform seven in some way? Certainly that's about the um, the name i.e. because of the it was a long way into the dinner and there was a, quite a few of us sitting there and a lot of wine had already been consumed and it was that bang that's, that was the name so that slowly worked through and the idea of Platform 7 was to create abstract events to see whether any of this was, was, was rubbish or whether it was true um, does, does this mean there were lots of other interesting uh, but, but not so good suggestions for what you should call your company? <laughs> there was a lot of it was a difficult one because people sort of knew what I was talking about because if you've seen Moonbows you know how abstract in, in, in a way that was because it, like, it was a business that was a you know in, the intention was to make profit um, not you made very much profit to be honest well not that I made very much profit um, but it had, even that had a profit for another reason you know like so it was about this more circular way of thinking about um, and being more inclusive rather than exclusive but even that even when it's cheap it's still exclusive for a lot of people but the name once the name caught and then the point was to then try and work out whether this was still rubbish you know whether people do actually just notice everything and people are much more aware or are we completely caught up in our own worlds to the point that we no longer really empathise broader when I'm saying I'm being really you know broad brush here I'm sort of talking about I'm not talking about anyone or everyone I'm sort of it's more this it's more ephemeral shall we say um, so Platform 7 sort of covered it uh, so then the idea was to do some events so I did some events in cemeteries exploring war and conflict uh, come back to that in a second and then we did and that was to see whether the artists would um, perf- you know, create, you know would come along for the ride uh, then it was to see whether an audience would come to the fence then what would happen with the audience feedback to us and if they did feedback, what would it be the feedback be? And how does that feed into the new art? And how would that then... And would it stand up academically, which is what I've been doing the last couple of years, just seeing whether it stands up academically before moving on to something completely different. So, In a, in a way, this sounds like a man discovering the, the wheel. 
<laughs> that would be a hell of a claim, wouldn't it? <laughs> but that was last Thursday I discovered the wheel. Uh, yes, in a way, it's just it's a research. It's been researched. I mean, it started in 2009. I mean, but the thinking's been going back to you know the, the begins of 2000s. And all I've got now at the moment is a lot of stuff written down, uh, which lots of people use as research. And there's a lot of academics been using it as um, for papers. So there's been a couple of published in the last few weeks actually and it's sort of and the idea is to try and be open and and just allow things to develop and allow things to happen and and you know it's not easy but i'm always surprised but i'm always happily surprised as you've just witnessed this afternoon that you're in a major major uh, station in london under a huge reconstruction and which is another reason i wanted to come here with the shard above us and and it draws into the whole subject matter, which is like regeneration. The, the, it's mainly around social issues, so regeneration, displacement, war, conflict, uh, the environment, and the way we think about the environment, because they're all interconnected. Well, they are, and I'm going to have to uh, disentangle them a little bit or to take particular slices out so, in order to find a path into what we're talking about here. So I'm going to try and be fairly specific, and there's a couple of bits I want to pick up from what you've mentioned. The performance at the cemetery is particularly tantalising, and I'm keen to know how you handled audience there. But um, let's stay with um, uh, Platform 7. We've got, got helicopters getting in on the game as well. Uh, let's stay close to Platform 7. What's, the, uh, what's this tight ball thing? Because this is the most peculiar facet of my brief for today. Uh, tights as in, as in underwear, is that what we're talking about? Uh, if you want to class it as underwear, that's your, that's your prerogative. Well, I don't think that's the most controversial part of this. You're, you're, doing, you're doing a public tights performance. Well, the tights ball, or the tights, it's uh, the tights, www.tightsball.co.uk is a project from Platinum 7. So what happened with that, um, basically we, we have been collecting tights around um, Lewisham last year, and then Camden Council have just no, commissioned no, no, it. No, no, you don't. <laughs> You've been collecting tights. Yeah, we've been collecting tights and stories, women's tights and women's stories but um, yes how, how is the question uh, with uh, bins which um, so uh, so Lenka Horikova and Anna Kompinets are two art- conceptual artists who go under the name of Eclaria and um, and basically what we were look what we were discussing is the politics of women's tights Anna created this amazing tights dress or a dress out of tights now Anna and Lenka always reuse everything and Anna makes jewellery out of um, Anna Companies makes jewellery out of um, old bottle tops and basically anything you give her she can make something out of and she's been doing it a long time and it's really interesting her work has really been developing a long time but they've I mean when I say long time they've been because they one uh, Anna's from Russia and Lenka was from Czech Republic they were recycling in communism time so Lewisham Council approached us after a previous project in 2012 which I need to just briefly go back to which was uh, called Tapescape and that was in an old Tapescape that was in an old blockbuster in Catford which was shut down because of the riots and um, wanted to explore the politics of video cassette. so uh, Kai Clear who's a great videographer came up with this, came up with the idea of the name Tapescape with Lurker and other Platform 7 stalwart and um, and what happened there was that uh, we, we it was quite abstract people started to come in started to find out about videotape we had a video amnesty two and a half thousand videos got returned for recycling which was nearly a ton 
and uh, then what happened one of the work artworks was very had tape coming out of it it was a little river of tape a little stream of tape and these two young girls really loved it and that set off a whole conversation which uh, blew our minds actually and then Paul Halliday the artist who's a photographer at Goldsmiths who teaches photography at Goldsmiths and Urban Studies he it was his work and basically we with the permission of Lewisham Council and Repic um, gave us some funding as well is we created this giant um, deluge of tape videotape which people of Catholic saw build up over the period of weeks it ended up being 25 metres long or 20 metres long and it was amazing and people were like really freaked out and you'd get audience of 20, 30 people and we did things like we explored the riots we had a riot in the shop an actual riot we explored body image Jane Fonda workouts it was about way women are feud, way technology, obsolescence. So that, it was so successful, hundreds and hundreds of people came to it and people were talking about it all over Catford and further afield. Um, Lewisham said, have you got anything on textiles? So I said, well, Anna's got this tights ball. We want to do this project around tights, the politics of tights, because they're quite innocuous. Nobody, you know, they're so small. What possible damage can they do you know, to the environment and etc.? And Lincoln wanted to get more into the politics of the way women perceive themselves through dress. And so the council said, OK, let's go with this, because they, t- they were starting textile recycling in the bins. The project went really well. Um, hundreds of women gave us stories. And the girl lady, we had uh, performances in the street. So Lenka and Anna and a few of the other guys were on their hands and knees, washing tights in the street in the middle of Catford, and then hanging them up. And so they actually had the public tights wash. And what about these stories? How do they fit into this? Well, the, they were, what's, your, what, what's your story about tights? And then what you end up getting is like, um, everyone says the same thing I don't have a story about tights. And then, well, except, and then they give you a story. And some of these stories are very funny, amusing, and some of them are quite sad. Um, why people wear them, why people don't wear them. Oh, that's a, can you remember any examples? Well, if you wear tights in Moscow, if you don't wear tights in Moscow, you're seen as a, a woman of the night, shall we say. If you wear tights in uh, Nigeria, you're seen as a woman of, an, of the night. So what does a Nigerian and a, and a woman from Moscow uh, think of each other when they see each other walking past each other in the street, you know, at night, you know, and it's this kind of because the the, the, the the cultural conditioning for one area, one country is different to a cultural condition of another. Well, and, and across the genders as well, because I can't readily think of an item of clothing that would suggest a man is a man of the night. So, a ma- um, so men. So, a beautiful story from one woman saying that she was um, freaked out by her father for a few days because every morning she, she woke up one morning to see him putting on his mum's tights her mum's tights and she was looking at this woman and she was like and after the third night she kept sneaking down to see and he was doing it every morning and it turned out he was a roofer on one of the big towers going up in the centre of, of London and the tights kept him warm and all the roofers wear tights and all the guys wear tights on the, on the railways apparently a lot of the guys wear tights because it's a really good way of keeping warm yeah I must say I know a couple of cyclists who wear tights yeah. underneath their leggings there you go and, and then you so you start but you build up a bigger picture a wider picture of why people buy them why people consume them why people waste them and it's the waste which we were really interested in um, and the, um, the way people just throw them away 
but it was also that whole, it feeds into the whole consumerist society that we live in. And it goes back to what I was saying about water being, you know, waste. You know, you just, you forget how easy it is to get hold of these things. But actually, there's a process behind it and there's a process after it. So you get one pair of tights and you just use them once and then they end up in the drawer. They end up in landfill. And if we got, we worked out, if we get one pair of this ball at the moment, um, I bought you a ball. I'm now going to hand you a ball. Well, this, is, this is one ball from Camden. This is from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama who have been collecting tights. Uh, <laughs> Let's describe this. Uh, this. I don't know what I was expecting, but this is, uh, you know, your elastic band ball. Uh, this is a just under the size, I would say, of a football. And it looks as though it's made out of string, pink, red, green, black, white, uh, extremely tight and solid. I'm tempted to, to find out whether it bounces, but we're sitting next to a railway line. I'm not sure how safe this is. Yeah, not much is the answer. No, not much. This weighs three kilos, roughly. Uh, and this is 112 pairs of tights, this ball. And this is what the average woman uh, who works has to wear tights to work will wear it in a year what did she say when you decided she was average <laughs> the average woman yeah this is which is only based on people telling roughly how many pairs of tights they wear so on average it seems like two pairs a week of, um, is the average weight that's how many pairs they, sorry, they buy not necessarily wear that's how many pairs they buy I mean, it's a straw poll. It's not nothing. You know, there's no science to that. Um, but so you worked it out. That's right. But if we got one pair off every woman in the city, based on the big Lewisham ball, it would be roughly 28 meters high, 28 meters wide, and that would end up in landfill because you can't. Well, you can recycle. You can reuse nylon, but you can't really recycle it. So it either goes to landfill or to the burner. Generally, um, they're they're a waste product, and that's what's that's the power of the project of the project because when people see the ball it's very attractive um it's a product we call it an anti-product um people immediately get attracted to it and they want to know what it is especially women it's, it's and we're proving this now time over um and Central School, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, um, we're looking at uh, just I was speaking to Platform 7 about a, uh, a performance of something to take people out of the classroom into the streets and something which would be something a bit more challenging to just being on a stage in a normal stage environment. And so the tights became a project um, for them because Camden Council were very interested in the project as well from Lewisham, having heard it, seen it at Lewisham. From an environmental perspective? Yeah, from the environmental. So this is actually coming from the environmental, but I mean, it works much better than marketing, I can assure you. It was, um, and what happens is, uh, so they said, can we do recycling? How would it work? So we took it to the estates and we did interventions in the streets in Camden this last month and a half. How, how would one of those work? Well, uh, we did a tights wash um, and the cutting and making in uh, Swiss Cottage and in Queen's Crescent Market up near Kensal Green. And basically what happens is people, uh, the performance starts and you just allow people to get into it at their own will and people come in. And actually in Camden, maybe because there was a lot more because the students were there as well, there were so many more people. We literally, in Swiss Cottage, we had 120 stories and they, they range from, you know, you, you, we're building up quite a big record of of consumption generally, but also about waste. And also, one of the things that we've worked out is the bins don't work. Those don't work. Recycling bins don't really work. So the, the girl, 
people just don't notice them basically or they notice them but they're very um, they're another product so the, if you look at a recycle bin you look at there's a poster behind us of no cycling here on the on the platform there's not really much difference in the in the design and there's nothing to really make you differentiate a bin a tights bin or a, a waste bin a recycle bin from a normal bin really to be honest it might be green you know but even that's been manipulated etc um, this is a bit of laziness on our part though isn't it as the uh, the consumer and the, the post consuming process yeah um, and we can be lazy because at the moment we have money and we have access and we have a lot of poverty in the in the far east and and other parts and, and probably Africa will end, you know lots of people will end, probably end up in big factories in Africa like they were in you know in uh, Southeast Asia for many years and making things for virtually nothing uh, there's an interesting book by Caroline Knowles at Goldsmiths who wrote called Flip Flops um, which is about the just the, the, the life of a flip-flop as it travels from uh, from its oil in Kuwait into flip-flops and into the shops. And, you know, people are working for 20, 30 pence an hour, an hour, a dollar an hour, you know, or a dollar a day, you know. Um, so, and that's how we can buy a £2 pair of flip-flops that we can wear once and the throw away you know um, I was really pleased to be at Latitude this weekend to see that a lot of the tents were packed up well in the guest area where I was a lot of people packed up their tents three years ago I remember being at Latitude with just despair on the on the Monday morning looking at just a whole field of tents which people had just left behind you know and these just go into a landfill or they go into a burner whatever they do in Suffolk I don't know um, and this just gets wasted and you know so this and this cycle is unsustainable. I mean, you don't need to be a scientist to know this is unsustainable. Well, sure, but I wonder what effect you're hoping your interventions then will have. Well, last week we were invited to present to all the councils in London. So there had this. There's a big senior meeting, and there was a lot of bodies there as well from London. And these people work in waste. One good thing I can. I'm not many. I can't imagine councils get much praise. Um, but I must admit they were passionate passionate about their subject of waste and London's a particularly difficult listening in on the meeting because we were just sitting for most of it in the meeting uh, just hearing what they had to say amongst themselves and London has got a particular problem because of its diversity the amount of languages the amount of transients um, the flats the way the streets are this creates a real problem for recycling and the way we think about recycling Um, so we we presented the tights ball um, and we presented the bins and we explained and and the tapescape and we explain the what has happened and they could see it i said you just look at the blogs you can read how people are, are, are thinking about this you can see what people are persuading. and what happens is they see the ball they laugh they think it's funny they think it's weird or they think it's great whatever they think then they ask a question and then a conversation starts and within that conversation you get uh, a whole host of information back about about recycling and about consumption. But have I not understood you correctly that these things can't really be recycled? Yes, they can be recycled. So you can make them into other things. You can strip them back, but the cost of stripping it back. Most textiles. I mean, there's a, there's a. I mean, textiles business now. Recycling textiles. I mean, when I had my first cafe, I re, I built the whole thing, the furniture, anything from two hundred pounds worth of furniture. And you recycled all your coffee, didn't you? 
Yeah, recycle. Well, actually, even the coffee used to have uh, someone come and collect it. I mean, it was a lot more difficult to recycle. It was, the, the point isn't about recycling. The point is about consumption. Because um, it's the way we consume. I mean, that's where the problem lies. Because every time you use something, even if it has to be recycled, it has still still got to be transported somewhere. It's still got to be melted down. It's still got to be repurposed. Repur- you know. What um, Anna's fantastic at, particularly, um, Anna Compinets, who I mentioned earlier, she what she's brilliant at is like thinking about re- how to reuse something. So we've had things like, oh, let's make this into a Pilates ball. Let's make these into weights. And this is what we're looking at with the councils, um, is to look at ways of... um, So people do things themselves at home. So they don't put it in the bin in the first place. It just stays at home, but it becomes a doormat. But surely you're fighting against a big, uh, mindless corporate tide, or actually rather calculating, I suppose, which is against anything other than inbuilt obsolescence, and it's against people being able to make do and mend and uh, patch things up and have things run for a long time. They don't want that, do they? Precisely. And the tape, going back to Tapescape in Catford, we had a conference with Goldsmiths um, Symposium there was about built in obsolescence, about that very subject because of the technology. And uh, if you go on the, onto the website, platform7.com website with a hyphen, um, you will see lots of essays and lots of reports and everything else. And I totally agree with you, but ultimately it depends on your view of how, the, regardless whether we the machine cannot keep going it will keep going through our lifetime but all the way through history there's always people have to constantly run against the machine slightly and and challenge what's going on and you can challenge it you can protest you can throw rocks at police officers and you can do all other kinds of things like that not that we're advocating that no I mean that's one thing what happens and you end up in you know the situations that are happening right now all across the world at the moment or you can be fun and you know think about things more holistically and think a bit more about how can we change things by thinking about it so going all the way back to the beginning of platform seven it's the idea of the little things and those are the things you see every day considering that subject matter and just thinking because if you think about small things suddenly the rest of the big things speak for themselves well we're going to be back with john mckinnon in just a moment thinking about small things thinking about a big thing as well which is the station to my rear, which is has, well, has reached a state of obsolescence in part, uh, it's being renewed and rejuvenated and rebuilt and we're going to discuss a little bit of that and also perhaps uh, some piano music as well under discussion Londonist Out Loud is available free as a stream at londonist.com or a weekly download via iTunes hit us up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud tweet at Londonist Sound and check out images of our guests via the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram you're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and with me is John McKinnon, and he is Platform 7. That's it. We're next to Platform 7, and he is Platform 7. <laughs> I founded Platform 7. I founded Platform 7, and I've just found Platform 7. We might have to retake that uh, introduction. <laughs> We're at London Bridge Station, and we've been permitted to record on the platform, which I've got to say is quite an unusual thing quite often, and we've talked about this in recent broadcasts. Uh, anybody who is in charge of one of those sort of semi-public, semi-private type arrangements, they really don't want you doing too much in terms of recording photography without lots of paperwork and vetting and, and so forth. But it struck me that you've got a good relationship with these guys. And have you been thinking about putting on performances 
is on Platform 7, uh, through Platform 7. Is that how, you, how are you thinking? Well, this is the first conversation this last few days uh, with, flat, with actual London Bridge Station. But we've actually done performances. We've just recently done a performance on, well, Southeastern, the train line, the main train operator here gave us a train. So we had a... What do you mean they gave you a train? They gave us a train. Uh, so we could use for a performance. Uh, well, no, hang on. <laughs> well, nobody gives people a train. They gave us a train uh, from Ramsgate to Charing Cross Station and then Charing Cross very kindly allowed us to perform in the middle of the station a performance for Resting Place. Uh, all our, most of our most recent events have got their own websites uh, as well as the Platform 7 website. You can go to www.restingplace.eu and it's about a World War I nurse. It's a two and a half year uh, project um, about a world, a world a nurse going off to become a uh, a woman going off to become a nurse, apologies. And she went via Charing Cross Station, so we had a performance in the middle of Charing Cross Station. But a few years, um, a few years ago, we were given, um, on Remembrance Sunday morning, uh, 10, well, as many tube stations as we wanted, actually, and the old Eurostar at Waterloo. Um, the week before, they charged like, 100 grand to... James Bond and we got it for free which is really sweet uh, could you I mean I don't want to uncover some personal scandal here but how are you managing to achieve all of this is it, it's got to be like blackmail or um, marri- marrying into various families or what, what's going on the work stands up uh, that's basically uh, the work is really heavily researched we don't just do I mean when I call myself a canvas stretch at the end of the, the day it was basically about making space in public spaces for artists to work in and going back to the very beginning when I was talking about the cafe the artists you know who come and go and the, the platform seven sort of ethos and ethics are quite singular in many senses people just want the world to be a better place and their work is very it's quite singular in their in their tech and what they do so they don't they're not filmmakers and painters and you know trapeze artists they're actually uh, they're a, pian- a pianist they're a pianist you know they're a you know that's what they do they just do one yeah. and then they're very passionate and they've got a very strong ethical approach to their work and society and community and so going back to Julian Jacobson I mean I opened an old cafe in Margate many years ago greasy fat nothing been on that shop for seven years I said to Julian before I opened Julian would you mind coming down and playing something you came down and did a gig we just wrote on the window there'd be a gig here tonight and 14 odd people from local you know this is down in one of the most deprived areas in, in the country in Cliftonville which is a bit better now but this is just as the Turner opened it's a different project but that's the kind of thing people do you know um, they're, they're, they're happy to do stuff and I think the other side of the coin people in like Network Rail and Southeastern and London Underground. I mean, London Underground board approved us going onto the Underground on Remembrance Sunday morning. They look at the work. They go, actually, this is quite interesting. And ultimately, I think most people acknowledge that this is unsustainable, even if you're not allowed to say it. Um, and this, we're not saying, as I said to you before, I'm not saying let's rip it all up and start again. Nobody wants to, you know, walk two miles to get water. You know. But you've got to also accept that we need to sort of change our behaviour in some way. Um, so it's not about behavioural change, it's just about through abstract art. The artists are, are so dedicated or so specific about their work and what they're doing. So the tights ball, 
or um, uh, the story about Clarice going off to war. It's about a woman leaving. It's about a woman's journey. You know, a six to a young woman heading off to a, an unknown place. It's very res- even though it's made it's a hundred years, ago, it's very res- it resonates. And it, the staff, I was told by the management at Network Rail and Southeastern at Charing Cross, the staff were really moved uh, by the thing. And hundreds of people just saw this event taking place in the middle for free, and then it dispersed. And everyone, I've never actually had to give out so many flyers because we run out in the end so many people wanted to know about this event and this this sort of so each event captures another event so we, you know this this meeting at the council is, this is not because these council meetings it wasn't because you know they want to have a bit of fun you know both Camden and Lewisham love the title and they've seen what already it, it, it's effect the universities you know I mean, there's a lot of universities done a lot of work on it I mean City and King's and Queen Mary Goldsmiths um they're interested in how people are thinking about stuff and you can't and having come in from an advertising background these focus groups are rubbish people just they're paid to be there you know, you're talking about watches they'll tell you about watches they tell you about reading, reading the time that advertising background uh, there's been something that's been lurking in the back of my mind and, and bubbling up and coming to the front I, I guess now which is a lot of people that I've spoken to and I used to do an arts based radio show purely arts based radio sh- show before and a lot of people who would appear on there I quite often got the impression that uh, there was a bit of box ticking going on and I'm not sure whether it was a chicken or an egg situation but I, I often felt that people were following up on sort of ethical societal concerns first and foremost because that was what would pay the bills because they would get funding for doing that sort of thing I don't doubt their sincerity once they'd latched onto an issue but it did seem to be that way around and I'm sensing a stronger sense of sincerity from you by far and I'm detecting that you plunge yourself into the art and then it's, it's in some ways found its its ethical level and its moral level and its utility as well um, but I'm wondering whether that reassurance I'm feeling from you is in part because you're better at selling your work because you come from a, a salesy art uh, advertising background uh, I mean <laughs> I mean, you can, yeah, of course, that could be possible. I don't think it is. Um, there's a there's a strong ethic and ethos, and it, I mean, money-wise, funding is very hard for us to get any money from anyone. Won't play the arts council game. Um, won't just do something for the sake of doing it. Well, then, what is the? Because you must, in that case, you must sense that same thing. And I, I'm, I get the impression that you're far too nice a person to say so. But you must look at some other artists and think that that's just got a bit of a whiff about it. I'm not quite sure of the sincerity there what is the quality that you, you identify in yourself and in your process the process of your company that means you avoid falling into that trap uh, I think it's always been aware of it um, I think some stuff is I think there's sometimes this genuine uh, belief that there's doing something genuinely interesting but actually uh, I mean I've got I've written a I've written quite a big critique of marketing advertising um and university education generally and the educate yeah which i sent around to several big universities and i got a very good reaction back from um i was asking to critique everything's critiqued so we critique each other and the artist and everything um ultimately if you're going for the buck it's you know you're going to have to play by the buck's rules um 
but you can still do stuff. I do think that there is a momentum building. Um, if you've seen abstract, um, really bad poverty, if you've seen some really, I mean, I've seen some really bad stuff. I've got some of the people who back Platform 7, so there is some people around the world who just sort of, you know, will pay for an event somewhere. Down, down in Margate, you know, they don't live in even live in the country. They just pay, you know, just to c- cover the cost of being there. But they've been out in war zones, places, awful places like the Rwandan um, uh, genocide. And when you sit in a in a room, just having a drink and chatting, and you hear, you know, like, you know for years I've known these people, you know, and you hear it firsthand. I wasn't there personally. You can't cope with it. Yeah, it's it's really strong, really pain. And if you've got empathy which most of the people I have got empathy, it's very hard just to lie, really. It's very hard to just... Um, you are who you are. And so I work with people who do what they do, you know, and um, and then there's just a lot of us. But actually, there's a lot of people around. But the problem is there's no forum for them to, to coalesce around, which isn't somehow political or politicised. Um, so it's very difficult... You want to be part of the political process, but you're not wanting to be... You don't want to enter it. So politicians are never quite sure how to deal with you. Um, People who are... People get nervous, but when they see the work, when you actually see the work... um, We did a... Just for example, we did an event called Silent Cacophony last November, which is... So we've done five years. And they did tell you about the cemeteries uh, that you asked. Um, Did five years of... Um, on Remembrance Day or around Remembrance Day about war and conflict that was based on Harry Patch dying um, and that's what inspired the first event it was in a cemetery at night in darkness Lewisham Council the only reason they allowed it to happen is because of the cafe bars and they knew me and they knew the events that I did and the kind of stuff they sort of went okay they took a chance and this is way before the, all the, what this is back in 2009 and you'd be quite surprised how limited public those kind of events were at that time still you know those still off time huge response beautiful anyway every year do stuff around um war and conflict how we can see how we construct our opinion on war and conflict in 2013 we did one across london did one um in parts of the world lebanon it was in in the hague and it was artists all over the city doing pacific performances around silence and explosions because before an explosion um, but after an explosion sorry a lot of people who survived talk about there was a silence you couldn't hear a bird tweet you couldn't hear you know it was such a perfect day as if they knew that it was silent generally you don't notice silence you know very rarely unless you maybe go on holiday um, you construct it because you need to construct it and that's why we we construct our lives to sort of to justify what we're doing or whatever we do so there was a there was 30 odd events because I mean like Duncan Menzies is an amazing bagpipe um, stood on the roundabout of Bow and as the instrument as the traffic was moving he'd be playing the bagpipes when it stopped he, he would stop so people could see the bagpipe but they couldn't actually hear it they would only hear it yeah, while well, they were moving but of course they couldn't hear because it, it was too noisy and it was this kind of it was quite so people were looking it up and going this is really odd but it 
it was more about that what had happened in that area you know these v2s and v1s and zeppelins blowing the hell out of people on the ground which people don't realize why that's all there so these are the kind of events and what was really surprising what was really beautiful last year about that was because of the other four years of events underground and the three cemeteries um every council um rushed it through they just made sure that their, the events happened in their area. And there was no audience sort of being... It wasn't being promoted in the sense of, come and see this at half past 11 today. La, la, la. It wasn't a... It was just posters went up. This would be happening. And if there was one person there, and it was pouring out of rain, or 100 people, that didn't make any difference to the artist. So but we had things like a, an, an old 30s typewriter typing in, the, in St. Bride's, which I think you've interviewed recently in the print room there. Um, and Nancy, who was a professor of poetry at Harvard, typed her poem. She lives in America. So she typed her poem where the bombs went off at the book in Boston at the marathon. So she typed her poem and it slowly typed out automatically onto this old typewriter with 50 or 60 people watching in wonderment. It's the effect. It's how people then remember that, which then prompts a, a wider discussion the next day, the next week, the next month. You go, oh, I saw something... And, they, and it's about broadening and, and going to the bigger corporate. The corporates are trying to change. There's people within corporates trying to change. So Network Rail have very kindly allowed access to all their scrap on there, which they're clearing the track sides, following all these events and that. So, and got access to a couple of stations. And the idea over the next two years is to create some work around... Um, basically London's being forced out so this is the next thing about displacement but this is a different kind of displacement and it's exploring this idea of the corporate but the people who work in these corporates are as affected by situation as everyone else and and what I'm sort of saying is is there are the risks that the the centre of London becomes a theme park and a playground for the rich and that no residents will end up being here in 10 years' time. Because this tower, which we're under right now, the Shah, which is sitting empty, it's not, I'm against it, I'm not for it or against it. Um, but the effect it is having is quite, you know, besides sunshine in the train driver's eyes, <laughs> is um, it's quite immense. And I come from Peckham, you know, you're from North London, you know, friends, and in the, on the poetry circuit... Um, which is often when you hear the first, you often hear what's going on. Well, there is a crying out, you know, people, you know, especially if you're 17, 18, 20, 25, you don't know what to do. You, you, people are panicking. And this panic is beginning to work its way up. You know, the, most of the staff here apparently don't live anywhere near here. They all have to come in by train. These trains are going to get, they may be all in a bigger station, but already St Pancras is full, apparently. Is that capacity? You've given us the, the perfect link that we need. One thing I've been marvelling at as we've been uh, talking, particularly as you've been talking, is the way your brain connects subjects so fluidly and, and, and gracefully slides from one to the next with, uh, without a seam. It's, it's very interesting to, to, to hear that process. I tend to need things a little bit more compartmentalised myself. I hope I don't sound arrogant, because it's not meant to be. No, not, re- not remotely. Well, not to my ear. Uh, 
certainly. No, it's just interesting hearing what kind of connections you make and, and trying to guess where those links might be. They're interlinked. I mean, everything's interlinked. You know, you, know, you can't... I, you, I see that that's how you see the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can't... You know, our effect now will have an effect on... I mean, we've already affected the guys here. You know, they've been happy to bring us down. They've had a change of day to change their day. This has had an effect elsewhere and blah, blah, blah. You know, everything has a... Um, Connection. Well, Connections is an opposite where we're at, London Bridge Station, and there's huge, huge change going on now. And even having been guided around the station and shown a couple of years ago what might be uh, up for grabs, um, the level of well, dis- destruction and renovation and reimagination here is uh, far surpasses what I thought was going on. It's incredible. I'm always sad to see buildings coming down, you know, like an old brickwork, because you lose memory. I mean, that's the big... I mean, the, I think the biggest worry for Londoners, if, if, if mine and people I know, is, this, is, is the, you know, the rapid change and having things just wiped out. Because it wipes out... It can wipe out an entire memory of your working life, your child life, blah, blah, blah. And it's the speed of it. Um, and you use this station on a very regular basis? Yeah, I use this station. But this station... But ultimately, I still want it to be a nice state. I want, you know, be able to use it safely and get through it as well as everyone else but I'm a big fan of uh, transport hubs and you know because I think they're important you know for a city to move around and as I said earlier you're not I'm not looking to you know I don't think we should try and stop the world turning I'm just thinking that we need to turn it maybe in a different direction but I also think personally there is a big change taking place and this network rail this idea of um, going back to the network rail scrap is to explore that using people being forced away from work and back into it and using the trains people looking out the windows people looking out onto the tracks and knowing that their place of work and their place of a home can't be the same place and the rate we're going at the moment is not likely to be the same place and you know as you heard earlier we're going to have four through four more through platforms here which means there's going to be 17 trains an hour from Brighton I mean that means Brighton suddenly going to go differently so this is but that means if your child is ill and you're in an office in central London, you still got to get that as Brighton, even if you've got a really fast train. And that idea of, I mean, especially, I think, for maybe for mothers, young mothers, I mean, that's quite a big effect, you know, that, that might change the way they can, that might become another way of working. You know, they can't work in town anymore because they don't want to be an hour away from there. But they have to be an hour away if they want to work in town because they can't live any closer. So this is, and this is going to affect business, Eventually, and that then will affect you know, investment, and that will affect the amount of offices that lie empty, which then become vacant, which then loses its. Then theatres can't survive because there's not enough people in the town. And before you know it, you've got a ghost town like you get in a lot of state America. I mean, I was in Taipei, and then you go to their business district, it's just empty, it's just void outside the business times. And do we want that in a city like London, which we pride ourselves and we love, you know, if you love it here, which I do? That's what you want. You want this vibrancy. The consequence of that seems naturally to be that your audience, if you were running, say, evening performances of something in London, could be uh, entirely made up, the audience could be entirely made up of people from out of town, tourists and so forth. Do you find that there's a particular segment of uh, society, internal, external, that uh, warms more readily to what you're creating? What happens in... There's lots of proof to this um, on the website, you know, if you want to read it, there's a lot, um, is it's not about getting thousands of people 
to sort of go, wow, it's not a football game. And the thing about this, this problem in the arts, this focus on numbers and audience feedback and audience reaction, is just, you know, it's, it's killing the, a lot of the arts. Um, because it's not about numbers, it's about how you're affected. So, you know, one piece of, you know, Guernica, I often point to Guernica. You know, it's the effect of Guernica. When Picasso was painting Guernica, I don't know the full history of Guernica. But my impression is he wasn't painting it to try and make a point of, oh, I can make be able to sell this to the United Nations and have it up on the wall as a tapestry or something. He was thinking, I want to make a point about what's happened to these people from northern Spain who've just been bombed while they were looking up at, didn't know what these things falling out of the sky were and didn't understand the concept of that, you know, this horror, you know. And it's about that kind of... And then if you see it and it affects you, then you go and find out about it. And the work, the, you know, the roundabout, you know, Duncan being on a roundabout or Julian playing the piano in a, in a cemetery or, on, or someone's reading poetry about babies being blown up on the underground at 11 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't to shock people. It's just people don't notice, but when they do notice, they go, that was odd. I don't know why I think... And then they get engaged. Then they, it opens their mind. And it's about the idea the abstract art art for me personally is sort of um, it's different to entertainment and I'm, there's a lot of people doing really good entertainment in this city it's full of great entertainment but there's but the but the, a lot of people I work with are doing stuff which is quite subtle uh, so you swapped advertising for subliminal advertising yeah maybe well it's, it's, it's I mean it's something I struggle with I don't struggle with I sort of it's a, it's a conversation is constantly being had because this, this isn't something as I said it's a research project almost it's an ongoing six years in it's the way we think about the world and the way we think about what we see around us and what you're hearing from me and what you're hearing from me is the way that that has been fed in all those hundreds or thousands of people who have written something or said something but what you get I mean one, one of the cemeteries a guy said to me um, he was 91 this is in Margate Cemetery after doing an up the line event one of the cemetery around war and he came up to me at the very end and uh, he said, when I was, I, mean, I don't know how old he said he was, but in World War II this was, he was in a, in a bunker or in a whatever he was in with all his friends, um, got a direct hit, everyone died except him, wasn't injured. So he had entire, his entire childhood friendships wiped out in that second. And it's in, it was in Remembrance, was now Remembrance Week. And so he hates Remembrance personally he hates that whole thing because it brings back this awful memory so he came and he said I'm a complainer and I came here to complain basically so I could hit the council tomorrow and he just came to shake my hand and he just said no one has understood my pain until this month London Nest Out Loud is sponsored by Audible to claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. A complaint that I might level against the way that artists represent their art sometimes, I don't know whether to call it a complaint or not, I certainly hear other people complain that um, protesters 
artists. For some reason, they seem to, to be watchable together in this. I'm very happy to churn up ideas and to talk about exploring things and uh, so forth. But there's a notable lack of answers or uh, even suggestions, anything concrete in terms of sort of moving forward. And I do sometimes feel that might be a deficiency. It's also the strength of art quite often. But in terms of effecting change, it's uh, a little open-ended. And sometimes you, you kind of do need an alternative, a flag being waved or somebody suggesting, well, how about this instead? And I wonder whether art, um, at the same time as it, it does allow freedom, maybe sometimes it fails to take a position. Is it, I don't know if it's, the, if it's for art to take the position, but it opens the conversation and it, it, and it affects the conversation in a sense that it allows for an abstract way of thinking about the same thing because if you've ever dealt with politicians or uh, people who've just been intransigent for the sake of being intransigent and I'm sure you've been intransigent I've been intransigent we've all been intransigent is that the thinking is very suddenly narrowed and going back to this kind of work is about opening up a conversation and develops the conversation to allow others uh, maybe a different perspective slightly but we're at the st- well, I'm at the stage or we're at the stage now of um, th- this network rail stuff which I just mentioned is to create a hub it's actually to look at this so I want to sort of go into the city I'm looking for a building in, in the city right now and it's about whether the community the corporates can become a community and it's this idea of the system's going to change it is going to change because it's already changing the, you know, we're in bubbles and, and as I always say if you're in the middle of the Roman Empire you will never know that your, the Roman Empire is over you, know, you wouldn't know that and I'm not going to say that the system we're in now will be completely different in our lifetime um, but it will be quite radically different by the time if we survive another 40 years or something it's going to be quite different because it's unsustainable in the system. So um, working with a great guy called John Wood, who's a professor of emeritus at Goldsmiths. Um, he's at the design department. He worked at the, you know, one young British artist, all that kind of crowd. Better take that again, young British. Young British artist, all that crowd. Um, but I'm also very sceptical, sorry. I'm also very sceptical of that, very of, the, of a lot of the art and whether most of it is about themselves or there's a lot of rubbish art around. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'd like to think that the research and the, and the, and the amount of work that goes in it allows us a little bit more scope to sort of explore but it's how people are feeding back and you hear the best results, the best things back from people who aren't what was the word uh, experts and this can come from any direction, it can come from anyone and the tights project you know you start to hear as we've been doing this project and we know we go London wide and have this inter-borough competition which is what we're trying to set up and the idea was then to plonk this big tights ball on the fourth plinth you know like as a huge tights ball you know memorial um, you know, memorial to our consumption what happens is the children see it and there's you know and then children and it does affect it does have a, a trickle down effect if it's strong people are affected if it's strong and and you know we've been allowing this platform very kindly you know as long as we don't do anything silly which we don't plan to do 
you know, maybe we'll do a few performances. It could be a poetry reading for 10 people. But that 10 people get on the train and they're thinking about something different. They see a piece of artwork, they see a, a sculpture, which suddenly affects their way, like, yeah, I'm missing my child. I want to be working closer to my child. They go back to their work and they say, look, why don't we move an office to Brian? Or why don't we do this? The Tights project is actually about that idea of how women are perceived and how women perceive themselves and how but how men perceive women how men perceive tights which is quite different generally to how and it's not what we thought it was either you know most British men it seems have no interest in tights <laughs> at all um, and it's quite an interesting uh, and there's some really funny stories about she wears tights for me but I don't actually like them but I don't want to tell her why she well, the she is then saying to him he I wear my I only wear tights for him because he likes being tight and this two these two guys were married like for 20 years and they were, they were talking to different people and it turned out that neither of them actually like tights but they were but neither of them actually ever told each other this this fact that neither of them like tights so they've been she's been wearing tights and he's been hating them all these years and I think that sort of just sums up how we you know we can walk around blind for years arguing about stuff but is there an answer yeah there is an answer um I haven't got it and I'm not likely to be the person to find it but uh I think we are doing our little bit you know and I think if everyone's just chips away a little bit and does their little bit we're in a very privileged place being in London we're very privileged and we're we are at risk in my opinion of losing it if we don't sort, we don't sort of deal with this, um, which is a growing crisis. And the thing is, a lot of young people are angry. They're getting, they feel left out, but they're not angry. They want to smash things up, which is really beautiful. You know, it's, it's different. It's different to being in Peckham. You know, where you know, it's it's a much gentler anger. They're still angry, and they're stressed. And I think we've got to remove that stress. Well, that discussion of London and, and what it's for, I suppose, not that I ever come into any interview with a list of questions, but my final question, I think, is uh, what would you do with yourself if you were to be parachuted into a, onto a desert island by yourself? What would you do? My worst fear is being in a prison cell. I think the idea of being locked away if it was a desert island that was outdoors um, I'd probably I don't know I'd probably just enjoy hopefully there'd be some birds there to listen to and I can listen to their bird song and maybe you know get to know them a bit better and get to know the coconuts and understand how coconuts grow you know does solitude attract you as an idea my favourite place in the world is deserts you know I do love deserts I've been to the outback and Wadi Ram and uh, Rajasthan and yeah I love deserts uh, so no I, I'm, I, I, I enjoy people I enjoy my you know, but I'm quite comfortable being on my own I travelled when I went travelling for two years almost or 18 months whatever it was on, the, on one trip I was mostly on my own with my rucksack I just like chatting to people people say oh you know everyone around here and I was like oh, no I don't I just chat to people around here um, and it's something which bothers me a little bit in London that that that's been lost a little bit. I don't know if your opinion is the same, but there's there's not there's Londoners generally don't fear other London. You know, they're, they're generally happy to have a chat. And Londoners, I always found, are really friendly. <laughs> and, and I always say Londoners are friendly. It's people who's not from London who when people say oh, Londoners aren't friendly, it's generally people not from London who's moved to London and then they live in fear of talking to people. But yeah, um, no, I don't know. Maybe I just end up rambling on. 
I could do now. <laughs> Talking to the birds. Talking to the birds. Have you seen this ball? Someone said Cafe St. Luce is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful music promoter, I think, for South London. He runs Rocklands. If you don't know Rocklands, look up Rocklands, the South London Tourist Board. She's fantastic. And she said something beautiful a couple of weeks ago, which was, um, why don't the police just have bird song when people get angry? You can't throw rocks when there's birdsong, when you're listening to birdsong. <laughs> On which performance-related note. Thank you so much, John McKinnon, for uh, being with us here. A uh, quick reminder of your website. www.platforms-7.com uh, The tights, well, all of them are their own website, but that's the main website. And then the tights ball specifically is www.tightsball.co.uk John McKinnon, thanks very much. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to John McKinnon. Thanks too to Dennis Kirk and Richard Emmons. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. The station announcers were played by themselves. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.